today, my message is going to be entitled Wise Men. Okay? Um, so how many of you can lift up by raise hand and say, how many of you here would like to be considered a wise person? You'd like to be considered a wise person. I don't know very many people that wouldn't, that would like to be called the other thing. You know what I'm saying? So do you know very many wise people? Do you know very many wise people? Yeah. Like Jamie, I'm with you over here. She's pointing at her dad. The very first person I think of is my dad. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, my dad. Like, I saw that man day in and day out make good choices and sometimes not so good choices. But he was a very wise man. Are any of them here in this room that you believe that are wise? I know Jamie's pointing out her dad. But are any of them in this room? While it may be more difficult to point out maybe a wise person, because sometimes I feel like it's more difficult to find someone in your life that's wise, that you want to be able to mimic your life after sometimes. It's pretty easy, <laughs> it probably seems very easy, to find that person that's not so wise. You know, okay, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Is that person in this room? That one, the not so wise person in this room. Hey, stop. Oh, I'm going to give you a second. Hold on. Think about what you're about to do. Think about what you're about to do. I don't want to get you into trouble. Okay? I don't want you pointing fingers. Y'all, my mom and my dad, you know, they used to tell me that, you know, you point a finger at someone, then you have how many pointing back at you. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want to say that you're not wise, but just take a moment. Let's have a wise moment. And think about what you're about to do. <laughs> I don't want you to get in trouble. Um, we would, like, all of us can say that we've done some very unwise things in our life so far, right? Yeah? I've, I've made a couple of those mistakes myself. Um, yeah? My kids like to remind me sometimes. Um, but think for a second some of the times when you've done something you know, like stupid. You know, I mean, wait, wait, wait. I mean, unwise. Let me correct myself. I've done some uh, very unwise things. So in our life, and, and to the point to where you wish that you had the opportunity to go talk to your younger self. So think about for a second. Like, hey, what would you tell your younger self? For some of us in this room, that younger self was about maybe two days ago, maybe two weeks ago. <laughs> but <laughs> for some of us, we could look back and we'd be like, man, if only I would have done that in high school. Or man, if I would have only done that whenever I was in college. Or man, if only I would have done that whenever I was a young adult. Whenever I first got married. Or sometimes if I would have known this whenever I first became a grandparent. You know, some of those things. Some of these, why is this? I wish you could go tell your previous self. But... Um, trying to find where I'm at. How many of you have ever tried sounding wise before? Have you ever tried that? Ever tried sounding wise? I do it with my students on occasion. How about this one? How about this? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. How many of you guys have heard me say that before? All my kids in here. Have you heard me say that? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Sounds pretty wise, right? I like to say it is. But you guess where I stole that from? Stole that from my youth pastor. You know where he stole it from? It's right here in Proverbs 27, 17. 
It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So what we did is we took wisdom that was in God's word, and we kind of just repackaged it. You know what I'm saying? And we used something. So I, like, whenever I hear something good, I steal it a lot of times. Like sometimes whenever it's a message, sometimes whenever a pastor preaches a message, if it's good material, I'll use it. I don't have, a, I don't, hey, I don't have pride. Not like that. I'll, I'll steal stuff's good because I want people that I know, if I think it's good, hey, maybe somebody else thinks it's good too. So I take some of the stuff that I think is wisdom and I try to impart that wisdom. How many of you guys in this room wish that you could do that with all your kids, right? <laughs> Kinsey, 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 girl, you don't even have kids yet. <laughs> You're like, I want to impart that to my kids. <laughs> Sorry I had to call you out. That was sorry. She's very shy. She doesn't like to be called out like that. But I thought that was funny. Sorry. She is funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, in my pursuit of life, I genuinely want to be a wise man. And I hope that most of us in this room, we want to be wise people. <laughs> so, so where do I go to look for my answers for wisdom? Where do I go? I go to the internet. <laughs> this is me and my millennial generation. So I go to the internet to figure out what does it have to say about wisdom. So I'm going to give you some nine quotes that I think are pretty good. Okay? Now, take from it what you will. These are some prominent people in history or some prominent people that I think would be, like they have some really cool wise things to say. And it says this uh, first. Number one, the greatest glory in living lies not in never failing, but in rising every time we fall. Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela. Number two, wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools, because they have to say something. Plato. Sometimes I can get in trouble for this one. You know what I'm saying? Jamie is like, yeah, me too. No, I'm like, this was one, of the, I struggle with this one. That's why I need, to, I need to learn from wise men and their words. Number three, wise men say only fools rush in, but I can't help falling in love with you. That's Elvis. That's Elvis. Look, I started typing this stuff in. Elvis was the first thing that popped up. He's the first thing that came up on my search. I'm like, I couldn't get it off. I'm like scrolling down, and it's nothing but Elvis. I'm like, bro, <laughs> I'm like, what's up? <laughs> Number four, knowledge is the treasure of a wise man. William Penn. Number five, it's always wise to look ahead, but it's difficult to look further than you can see. That is Winston Churchill. Number six, life's tragedy, and maybe some of you guys might relate to this one, some of us in this room. I'm not there yet. Life's tragedy is that we get old too soon and wise too late. Benjamin Franklin. Yeah, you can tell me if you think they're good. I mean, I want to agree with you. Number seven. Let us raise a standard to which the wise and honest can repair. The rest 
is in the hands of God. This is George Washington. And that's talking about founding the nation. I'll read that again now that you know who it is. Let us raise a standard to which the wise and the honest can repair. And the rest is in the hands of God. That, to me, timeline-wise, is incredibly wise. Like, that's incredible. I find great wisdom there. Because what's, what's unique to me is that George Washington was a former slave owner, and we've come a long way since whenever he first spoke these words. And I'm so grateful that we've had wise and fair and honest people that have made those decisions in our country to change. And, man, that's just, it's awesome. Uh, number eight, a wise man can learn more from a foolish question than a fool can learn from a wise answer. Bruce Lee. You know what I'm saying? And this is my favorite. This is my favorite. It's from Michelangelo. A wise man says, forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. You can tell which age group I grew up in. I grew up in the 90s, y'all. <laughs> Cowabunga, dude. That's right. I love it. I'm trying to impart to my kids how they can like Ninja Turtles, too. My wife and I, <laughs> we, we're a Ninja Turtle-loving family. We are. But if I were to ask you in Scripture, where would you turn outside of Christ and his wisdom, whose name comes to mind? Anybody. You can talk. What you got? If you think about Solomon, I think I heard Solomon over here. Anybody else got something? Outside of Christ, who are you going to turn to for wisdom in God's word? David, maybe. Okay. Paul, like it. Anybody else up there? <laughs> I, my mind immediately takes me to King Solomon. Because in, in 1 Kings 3, 9 through 14, it says, this is where God appears to him in a dream and tells Solomon to ask for whatever he wanted God to give him. Solomon responds humbly, saying he doesn't deserve to lead God's great people, so he asks him for a discerning heart to rule over God's people and to tell the difference between right and wrong. Like that. People just don't do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, God honored him because his heart was in the right place. That is almost the equivalent of a teenager being able to recognize that they don't have all the answers and they need to ask their parents or God for help. Today. Let's just be real. I got a bunch of teenagers. They don't know how to ask for help. And they ask all the wrong people. <laughs> so, like, just say, it's, it's, that's pretty impressive. I'd be impressed if a teenager starts asking some of their parents or some of the people that would be wise how to, handle a situation. And I'm a, I'm a youth pastor. Like, that shouldn't shock me. You know what I'm saying? That shouldn't be surprising. Solomon desired, like, okay, so here, before I ask this, before I go here, and this is something I want us to all really think about. Is it possible that most of us, most people don't strive for wisdom as much as we strive not to be made a fool of? I don't like being made a fool of. 
So in my pursuit of not wanting to get embarrassed, <laughs> I try to gain wisdom. Yeah, pretty simple. But right here, Solomon says, he, his, he, Solomon desired wisdom here to be a good leader to God's people. What's unique is that if you've lived on the earth long enough, you know that this next statement is true. We believe that Solomon is one of the wisest men to ever be in Scripture. And it says, wise men make unwise decisions. Wise men make, so we know that that's true. Wise men can make unwise decisions. King Solomon had no greater equal in his time in this department, and he still managed to sin against God by being led astray from keeping God's commands and worshiping idols. So one of the wisest men ever in Scripture still was led astray. This doesn't take away from any of his achievements. It doesn't take away from his wisdom in whole, but it does tell us that even the best or the wisest among us can make mistakes too. All this said, it got me thinking last week. What makes the wise men in the Christmas story so wise? Anybody thought about that before? And maybe there's something that we can learn from them. So I started studying up on this. I'm going to give you some of the things I found. First, I need to establish a timeline. Jesus was born in a manger. Okay? Mary and Joseph then went to the temple to make a sacrifice, and it's here where Simeon holds Jesus like Pastor Mike spoke about last week. Now... Here is where the, the wise men enter the picture. Okay, the, the wise men were not in the nativity scene. It is myth. <laughs> you, you go and you see the nativity scene, the wise men are there. They, in timeline wise, they weren't. Okay? So I'm going to read Matthew 2 1 through 18. And if you would, you could follow along with me. I'm going to read out of the NIV, and so I'm going to be switching to my media Bible because this is the New Living Translation. My wonderful wife has been giving me a present for a while now. She took my NIV version Bible that I've had since I was like a sophomore in high school. I was probably like 15, 16 whenever I first got it. And I use that, and it's like my reference, my go-to Bible. And it started, like, falling apart on me. And so she went to go take my old Bible. She's just so kind, so nice. And she went to go get it rebound. And so I'm waiting on it to come back. But I'm missing, like, my, my Bible, my version, my NIV. So I'm using NLT up here. Um, it's a good version, too. But this is what I like to read from. So it's the NIV Media Bible. Teenagers, you can get out your phones now. So, oh, you telling me that y'all don't have your phones? That's a surprise. <laughs> but I encourage you, like, I use the Bible app on my phone, and it's one of the coolest resources ever. So if you need something on your phones, and I'm just going to plug it right here because I can take this anywhere I go, and I could use it all the time. Um, and it fits in my pocket. After, so here I'm in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And I'm going to read through to verse 18. So we're going, to re- we're going to cover the story. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, 
Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent to them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Whew. Glad we got that story out of the way. It's a, it, it's a good one. I love this story. But this is a story specifically talking about Jesus and whenever the Magi came to visit him. And so I want to break this up. First, let's ask the question, who are the Magi? Who are the wise men? Who are they? Okay, so we're going to do a little kind of Bible study here for a second, all right? And we're going to try to find out who these people are because it's very important to these interworkings of the story, okay? It says, the word magi in Greek is megos. Everybody say megos. One more time. Megos. Megos, okay. So the word megos is the same root word in English where magic comes from. Okay, so 
another place in Scripture where the term magos is used is mentioned in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel, we're talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. We're talking about God's chosen people, the Israelites, being in captivity to the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? That's the timeline where we're at here. Daniel 2.24 says, Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. So right here, it says the wise men of Babylon. All right, so their Bible study, the Magos, that's what that's coming in. And said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. So this is Daniel. You know, Daniel, lion's den, same guy. Okay. Daniel 2, 45 through 49 is where I'm going next. In verse 45, it says, This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future, is what Daniel's telling the king. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. So, incense, frankincense. Um, the king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords of kings and the revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its what? Wise men. All of Babylon's wise men. So we have God placing Daniel over Babylonian, a foreign Gentile country, as leader of all of these wise men. And it says in verse 49, Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. You know that cool story about those guys that were in the fiery furnace and some angel appeared and, you know, they didn't get touched with flame? Yeah, that's these guys. So God put godly people over Gentiles over the wise men in a Gentile foreign country. So that's, I want you to keep that in your mind as we continue to walk this through. So in Matthew 2, it tells us that the wise men were from the east. Guess what's east of Jerusalem? Babylon. Man. I'm having fun here because, like, really? I've been a Christian for a long time. And whenever I started doing studies and whenever I get into God's word, I get excited. Because I learned some new things. And so this is some stuff that I'm learned that I couldn't wait to share. Okay? So it says that's the same direction. So they were Gentiles. I said that once already, right? They knew the scripture prophecies of the coming Messiah, which were foretold in Genesis 49.10 and in Daniel 9.25-26. They knew these teachings. So if one of their ancient peers, say Daniel, wise men, just so happened to be him, the wise men of Babylon in Daniel 2, then they would have been taught God's word from Daniel. And then for over 600 some odd years up to this point that took place, they would have continued that teaching among the Gentiles. 
This would help explain why they were looking for the king of the Jews, as mentioned in Matthew 2, before King Herod and his chief priests. This is so fascinating, some of this stuff. Because what this tells me, what this tells me is that these Gentile wise men, God was already moving in their lives in such a way that pretty much they were looking for the king of the Jews before Israel was looking for the king of the Jews. You know what that tells me? That tells me that God had a plan for the Gentiles long before Jesus ever came. God had a plan for you and me long before Jesus was actually ever born. And he kind of set that stuff up way back whenever Daniel was held in captivity of Babylon. Say this story isn't exactly what's happened. Okay, I'm just kind of using this as an example of what could happen. Because it doesn't tell us specifically that the Magi were from Babylon. But what it does tell us is that these men were men who had been impacted by God in such a way that they changed their belief systems and they were following him. That's what's crazy and amazing about this. Is that this happened prior. And so I want to give us five things today. Now that we know who the Magi are, now we know that they're wise men, why they got so wise in somewhat of a way. I'm going to five things that we can learn from the wise men. Number one, they knew God's word and waited eagerly for the sign. Matthew 2 2, we saw his star. The wise men saw his star. They saw something that the Israelites didn't see. You guys realize that, right? This star they followed from where they lived all the way to Jerusalem. That means the Israelites never saw that star or whatever it was. Lots of speculations. I'm not going to speculate. I'm just wanting to reveal truth here. This is some cool stuff. That means it's a supernatural thing. For some of us in this room, you are waiting from a sign from God, which I believe is the nudging of the Holy Spirit. For some of us in this room, we have this in common with the wise men. We are in a time where we are waiting because we have the truth, we have the word of God, and we're anticipating a new sign. That is what's Revelation's promised for Christ to come back. Okay? We're expecting his return is what we're expecting and looking for, and that's what I desire right now. I desire, I'm looking for the signs of the end times. I'm looking for his, I'm looking for that star in the heavens that's going to bring Christ on his horse riding with his angels and armies, and I'm ready to go. Some of us have that in common with the wise men, but for some of us in this room, you're waiting for a sign from God, which I truly believe is the nudging of the Holy Spirit for you this morning to have a relationship with him. Number two, something that we can learn from the wise men is that the wise men sought after God. Not only did they seek after him in their study, they sought after him physically. They left where it was that they were living to find him. Traveled, gave up whatever they were having their hands involved in at the time. 
left it all behind to find the so-called Messiah. Matthew 2.1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came from Jerusalem. Guys, sometimes God doesn't reveal your next path in your life until you begin your journey, your journey towards him. So some of us were wanderers, right? Some of us, we like to consider ourselves wanderers, or some of us have been in that wandering desert or wandering place. The reason why we're wanderers is because we're wandering and we're not going towards the right source. God's not going to reveal your next path in your life of what he's got for you until you get on the right path towards him. And that's what these, these Gentiles, they came to Jerusalem They got on the path, they came to Jerusalem to find the Messiah. Number three thing that we can learn from the the wise men is that they they course corrected when they found out new information. I don't know if you caught this part, but they had to course correct. They went where? Did they go straight to Bethlehem or did they go to Jerusalem? Anybody? Anybody? As we were reading the text earlier in Matthew, it says that they went to Jerusalem. Not that they went to Bethlehem, they went to Jerusalem. It says in Matthew 2, 4, Matthew 2 verse 4 through 5, it said, When the, he called, that's Herod, King Herod, all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. See, the wise men followed the star to Jerusalem, but were stalled because they didn't have all the information. These wise men did not have the prophecy of Micah, as prophesied in Micah 5.2. That the chief priest, when they gathered and met, they revealed the birth location of Bethlehem. And then the wise men left from Israel to Bethlehem. Man, this is like, I got charged up finding out this stuff because I didn't, I didn't look at the story like this. I didn't see it like this. But here, we should not be too proud This is where this can apply to us, is that we should never be too proud to let the word of God adjust our thinking and our way of life to be more like Christ. That's how this matters with course correction. Because in our lifetime and while we're here on this earth, there's going to be many opportunities for God to reveal new truth through his word. And it's up to us to course correct, just like the wise men, to make ourselves different, to challenge ourselves to be even better than where we're at now. Number four, the wise men brought their best and laid it before Jesus. Matthew 2.11 says this, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
The wise men surrendered their worship to God, but it wasn't just the word. They came to worship Jesus, knowing that he was the Messiah that they anticipated. So what are you holding back whenever you come in here or whenever you leave this place and God's trying to get your attention or you're trying to give him worship, whenever you're trying to live your life, what are you holding back? Are you bringing your best when you come before the king? Second thing we can learn is that what are you holding on to? The wise men, they didn't hold on to anything. They gave everything. They gave the, the best of their possessions and they surrendered it to Jesus. So what is it that you're holding on to that you need to be like, Jesus, here you go. Here you go. Number five, last one. The wise men were obedient to God and his commands. Man, this is the hard part. This is the hard one. This is where it kind of gets difficult because it says Matthew 2.12, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to King Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So whenever they heard the word of God to not do something, they listened and they obeyed. They heard him and they obeyed him. Here's the part where I remember my baseball coach trying to tell me it's not just about making a connection with the ball. It's about your follow-through. That sends that ball where it needs to go. Some of us are good at making that connection with Jesus. Some of us are good at hearing what God may be trying to tell us, but we're not good on the follow-through of being obedient to what he's asked us to do. And so we don't we stop here, and that ball like maybe travels like a bunt. You might get on base. Good luck. You got to run fast. But he's saying, no, I want you to follow through that. Send that baby out the park. I want you to be obedient. And that's the hard thing, family, is that we've got to be obedient to God whenever he tells us to do something. And that's what sets these wise men apart from other people in Scripture. Well, so it sets these wise men apart from other people in their time. That's what could possibly set you apart. Is whenever you're obedient to God's Word and obedient to what He's calling you to do. What He's calling you to do is different than what He's calling me to do. You know what I'm doing today? I'm being obedient to God's Word because He's like, Kyle, I just need you to preach this message. And I'm like, okay. I want the Holy Spirit to do the rest. They learned God's word. They sought him out. They course corrected when necessary. They brought their best and laid it down before the Messiah. And they were obedient to God. The altar team can make their way back up. The worship team. Musicians. What absolutely amazes me whenever I was studying this, just completely amazes me, is that these wise men went to the chief priests and they knew where to look. 
They knew the prophecy of Micah that the wise men didn't. They knew it. But only the wise men, I know that King Herod sent them on a secret mission. I get that. But if the Messiah was a possibility, if that's something that someone was coming to talk to me about, and I'm sitting there in the chief priest, I'm in their room, I'm in their presence, I'm hearing this information come down, and you're talking about the possibility of the Messiah being born, you want to tell me that I'm not going to disobey King Herod and try to go find that my person myself? These are the Israelite people. These are God's chosen people. And they didn't. They didn't. They didn't go find them. It's good. I mean, I... Because it then allowed Christ to escape. But I remember in New Testament telling a story about one of the Pharisees. And he comes up to Jesus and he's asking him a question. And he's trying to do it to where the other Pharisees don't really know what he's doing. He was wise enough to step out and go to the source and try to find Jesus and to figure things out himself. Last week, this sermon came to me as I was sitting right there as Pastor Mike preached. So even now, I realize that the Holy Spirit could be moving on somebody and their spirit talking about something completely different. Because <laughs> I'm sitting here, I'm writing down notes for today's message while Pastor Mike is preaching. So I know that the Holy Spirit could be moving on some of you guys in this room in a different way and talking to you completely different than anything that I'm saying. But if he's asking you to move this morning, and I'm, just, I'm just hoping that you'd be obedient. The altar team will come up and everybody will stand. Family, I love you. I want the absolute best for you. And I'm flawed. I'm not perfect. I don't have the answers that you can seek. But can I have a little guiding star moment? Today, that guiding star led the wise men to Jesus. If anything, I just want to be like the star and point straight back to him. You got questions, you got answers, you got stuff that you're dealing with. You want to be wise this morning, make wiser choices, wiser decisions. If you want to be a wise man or a wise woman of God, that's something you desire, then I'm going to point to Jesus. Because only he can get you there.
Wise men know when to seek God out on their own. The best thing that I tell, this is how I know whenever somebody truly desires God. It's whenever they can come and lay everything down and surrender it to Jesus. Take that as wisdom for what you will. But the way I know that a true man or a woman is a woman or a man of God is whenever they can surrender everything to the king. And that's what we're here this morning for. It's what the wise men did. They sought out the Messiah. They surrendered everything to him. They gave it all. And so if you want to be wise this morning, I just want to encourage you. The first step is meeting with Jesus.